Hello and welcome to another edition of the Dado Download Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Sprouling, along with my co-host, Jack Smith. Jack, we finally have some baseball to break down and dissect. Of course, that doesn't mean it was victorious baseball for the USC Trojans. Yeah, obviously not the most ideal start for USC. We knew they were heading out to Arizona for the MLB Desert Invitational. Kind of a far cry from welcoming in Marist like they did at the start of last year. So we knew <laughs> higher expectations, which means they're going to go out and they're going to play some some good teams uh, in Arizona. They're facing bigger competition to start the year. And shocking, they kind of got hit in the mouth. 0-3 start to the year for USC. We talked all offseason uh, with the coaches about how do you handle expectations because there were going to be expectations. With ex- expectations comes people wanting you to win and expecting you to win, and USC didn't go out and win. So we'll see if they can bounce back from that going forward, and obviously we'll talk about the losses, but I think the words you would use is it's not the most ideal start for USC. Definitely not ideal. We'll break down each of those games as well as look forward at this week's upcoming action. Uh, we're not going to have a, uh, an interview this week. I just got back from Arizona as well. The team just got back, so we didn't want to immediately rush into that. I've got to get on the road at the end of this week to go to uh, go to the Bay Area as well. So we're, it's, it's a condensed week. We're going to cut out the, the interview for this week. We don't have a bunch of fun stuff to talk about. We'll see how they they rise to the occasion after this week, and then we'll chat with the coaches and maybe some players later on the season as well, too. But for any newcomers, the Dato Download Podcast is a USC baseball podcast. We break down the latest news and developments about the Trojans program. It's part of the Peristyle Podcast family show. So as always, we ask you guys to like, share, subscribe to the Peristyle Podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform so that you don't miss any of our new episodes talking all things USC from football recruiting to basketball with our wide range of shows. Also, please make sure to leave us a review as we continue to try to grow the show. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always email them to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you specify which show it's for in the headline. So if you want to get a baseball question on, put the baseball pop at the data download so we know so that it gets directed to Jack and I. We can talk about it on the next episode. But Jack, you mentioned it 0-3 start, and it just wasn't pretty. You know, they did not play very well in really any facet uh, of the game. You know, they lose 8-1 to BYU, 8-1 to Grand Canyon, and 5-2 to Ohio State. Um, what was your overarching big takeaway from, from the action this weekend? Uh, I think it it started with a lot of the stuff that we heard throughout the offseason didn't exactly come true in the opener. You know, we talked a lot about potential defensive changes for USC and how that could benefit the group, and then we ended up seeing – the kind of the same defense as last year with one or two newcomers at their normal positions with Chris Brown at DH and Avery Covarrubias at, uh, at third. And we saw this team that was a really good defensive team last year. And we had heard this is, you know, a potentially elite defensive group, not play very solid defensively. We saw the Pac-12 leader in ERA, Pac-12 leaders in ERA as the pitching staff, you know, kind of get shelled a little bit in the first couple of games and uh, blow the lead in the third game. And we saw an offense that maybe they didn't have a ton of power coming into the year, but this is supposed to be an offense that's going to hit the ball. They're going to get on base. They're going to go station to station. This is the team last year that got that hit when they needed it with a runner in scoring position, brought in runs, did the little things right. And they just didn't really hit at all this weekend. You know, we, maybe we weren't expecting to see a bunch of home runs or 450 foot blasts like some other teams were hitting with their elite prospects. But USC went, I think, three hits in the first game, four hits in the second game, five hits in the third game. That's not enough for an entire weekend. You can't win games with three hits or four hits in college baseball. And I think you're right, Chuck. And it just n- not a single facet of the weekend went well for USC, but it was kind of surprised to see it all 
breakdown at the start of the season. And maybe that was they were trying to do a little bit too much. I know you were able to hear from Andy Stankiewicz on how he broke it down. But I just think a lot of the things that we were hearing about this team and expecting from this team, we kind of saw none of that this weekend. And that ultimately led to them losing all three games. Yeah, they just didn't play very well. And like I said, in any facet, it wasn't just the pitching. It wasn't just the hitting. It wasn't just the defense. But all of them struggled. Uh, you know, they had multiple errors in all three games. You you mentioned that they hit a lot of fly balls that, that went to the warning track. Well, that's not really their game. So, you know, they played outside of their, you know, outside of themselves. They played, you know, over their heads a little bit, tried to do too much. And I, I thought it was interesting when I talked to Andy Stankowitz, he wasn't necessarily as concerned as I may have been. You know, that, oh, my thought is, this looks like football. This looks like basketball. Team with a ton of expectations coming out and not playing well. Now, the difference is those teams did fine to start the season. And then very soon after the start of the season, you know, football took half of the season. But, you know, the, the cracks became very evident where this is the very beginning of the season. And when I talked to Andy Stankwitz, the thing that stood out to me, he said, you know, you kind of let guys do their own thing and see that it doesn't work and then say, all right, now you're ready to come back home. You're ready to, to realize you got to listen. You got to trust what I've been trying to teach you. And then, you know, when you fail to have results, you see that, all right, coach knows what he's talking about. Let me do it his way and then try to build from there. And in baseball, you can do that a lot more than, you know, football or, you know, less to a lesser extent basketball, but just because there's more games. So you have 56 games in the regular season. So one three-game weekend, and you can, you know, you can have a mulligan and build your way back up, especially playing against quality opponents. Someone said, I had a couple of tweets say, the season's over. They got, you know, I thought this was going to be different. There's no way they can make the tournament. They were calling the Ohio State game a must-win game. One, you're playing two power conference teams. People forget BYU is in the Big 12 this year. So you're playing two power five, power conference teams. And then Grand Canyon is going to end up winning the whack. They, they, they were the most impressive team I saw out in, uh, out in Arizona outside of a top five Oregon State team. So, you know, I, I think that that loss is not going to look bad at the end of the year because I think they're going to continue to – they're going to roll through the, the whack this season. So it, it's, it's a little bit of an Aaron Rodgers moment. R-E-L-A-X, guys. Relax. It's just one weekend. Now, definitely could be some concerns. Don't take that that part out of it. Don't say, oh, well, they just don't care at all. No, 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 no. There's definitely things that need to be fixed. But take a step back. And do you trust this coaching staff that they know what they're doing? That's another question. Because some other sports, maybe you don't trust the coaching staff as much as I would put trust in Andy Stankiewicz and the staff that he has assembled around him to get things corrected. Do I think Travis Jew is going to let guys hit long fly balls to the warning track all season without making any adjustments? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Do I think that Seth Etherton is going to find guys that can throw strikes for him rather than, you know, running a bunch of guys out there and having walk issues out of the bullpen? No, I think he'll figure that part out. So it's early in the season. It's a learning experience. And this is something every team out, in Arizona is going through at the same time. You know, I saw 11 games in three days. I'm still tired from it. We actually were supposed to record a little bit earlier, and I slept through our initial record time because I'm, I'm exhausted. There's a lot of games going on, but I talk to every coach after games and stuff and say, you know, what are you trying to learn this first weekend? And it's not always pinpointing one thing or another. It's, all right, I see what I got. You know, I got these new guys. 
We got 20 new guys in. We got 15 new guys, new faces. I gotta see what they can do when the you know when the when the bullets are live and you know everything's going. So it it is something that there's definitely concerning bits of this weekend, but the overarching weekend is not something to be concerned that the season is over at this point. Yeah, and not to jump too far ahead, but shocking at the end of the episode, we're going to preview some of USC's opponents for this week. And one of them is UC San Diego, a team that USC plays tomorrow. It'll be their first semi-home game played at LMU. UCSD went to the exact same desert invitational that USC went to this year. They started out one and three. They got blown out by GCU and Tennessee. That same UCSD team almost beat USC last year, but finished the season 34 and 18, won the Big West. And could potentially have gone to the tournament had they not have been, you know, in this in this D1 shift period where they weren't eligible for postseason play. So they went one and three, ended up having a good year. Like this happens to teams all the time. It just with the expectations that that followed USC coming into this season, it's not what you wanted to see if you're a Trojan fan. And I think the ways in which they lost are what's more concerning than the fact that they lost because this team didn't get blown out a whole ton last year. Now they had some road games that they didn't play super well, but they found ways to stay in games and uh, they would get a hit in scoring position every now and then to make things interesting. And it wouldn't really be all three games they couldn't hit of a series or all three games they couldn't pitch. But this weekend, it kind of was like that. The first two games, I think the first one started differently. I don't think Caden Aoki pitched poorly. You know, there were some bits of unluck in there where there was a, a ground ball single on the infield. There was a flare single. You know, there was an error at third base. Then I think things built off of that. But all in all, I feel like for most of the weekend, USC didn't pitch very well and they didn't hit very well and they didn't play defense very well. So I think the ways in which they lost were more concerning than the 0-3 start. And I think we can kind of dissect whether we which ones of those we expect to bounce back sooner maybe than the others or if these are season-long concerns. But I think the fact, the ways in which they lost was more concerning than the fact that they lost the three games. Yeah, it was interesting you called it bits of unluck for Caden Aoki. Let's start with the, the Friday game. They open the season against BYU. BYU, a team that's moving into the Big 12, not picked very uh, high in the Big 12, maybe in the bottom, maybe in the cellar itself or a couple spots up because they got a lot of unknowns as well, which is kind of always the case when you got guys coming back from more remissions and a bunch, bunch of things. I actually like this BYU squad that I saw this week. I like some of the things they did. Uh, ben Hansen on the mound starts for BYU and pitched pretty well. You gave it one run in five innings. Caden Aoki, like you mentioned, starts out. He gives up three runs in the second inning, and I was there for that. And they they hit one ball hard, um, and you know, in the entire inning. So it it's one of those games. You just, I mean, one of those innings. You just like it happens as a pitcher. He pitched all right, but it started with a leadoff walk. And that's where your issue always starts when you're a pitcher. If you walk the leadoff hitter, that guy inevitably feels like he's going to come around and score like 912% of the time. It's, you know, it's one of the, the biggest pet peeves of any pitching coach is don't walk the leadoff here. Go after him. Make him smash something in the gap or something. You know, early in the game, second inning, it's a 0-0 game. You know, force him to hit it 450 feet. Put it, Make him put it in play uh, to for the inning to get going and whatnot. And then you have an error. Then you have a bloop single. Then you have an infield single. Um, and they get a double play and get two outs, but then the first hard hit was there was a single up the middle to bring in a second run. But, you know, all the things considered, you don't look like it and go, oh, I don't know about Caden Aoki now. Now in the fifth inning uh, or the sixth inning and to start the inning off, he I think, again, he walked the leadoff hitter and then he gave up a homer. Um, I was already gone from that game. I, I stopped by and saw the first three innings, I want to say, and then jumped to a different game that night. But 
you know, I, for what I saw, Kate, okay, I wasn't really concerned. I chatted with him a little bit uh, after the series, and you know, he, he said that he didn't feel like he pitched terrible, um, but it was just kind of victim of circumstance in that second inning. And he said, "Yeah, I gave him a homer." But the thing that he's concerned about is those walks. You can't have leadoff walks, and he knows it. What stood out to you about the rest of the game? Like I said, I saw probably the first three innings, and. I kind of saw what we in, ended up seeing throughout the weekend, you know, USC hitting long fly balls and getting nothing out of them. Uh, you know, there weren't a ton of line drives everywhere. And, oh, that guy just made a spectacular play on it. It was, oh, he hit it. Uh, and the fans go, <gasps> and it gets caught at the warning track or right in front of the warning track. That happened several times. Ethan Hedges in particular. Like, I, I think I started a warning track tracker with you. Uh, the, I don't know if we actually got a full number, but – there were several in there for him, including his first to bat. You know, he flied out to left field, and there was, you know, one that pretty pretty well hit, but not well hit enough. What what stood out to you in the first game? Yeah, I think that everything that you said about Kate Naoki's start, I will echo. And some of the walks you could tell, like that's maybe a pitch that he missed an inch off the plate that later on in the season when he's in a little bit more of a rhythm, he's able to make that pitch on a three-two count, but you know, would lose a guy here and there and he is a guy that does pitch to contact. Now, he did have six strikeouts, but normally he's more of a pitch to contact guy than strike everyone out because he wants to throw his change up and get you to ground out to the left side. He wants to force a double play in a big spot. And sometimes that can happen. You know, an inning like that can happen to a guy that pitches to contact because when you're inviting teams to hit ground balls and to jam them on the hands and put it in play, there's going to be those weak hits, the ones that just dink in or just slightly roll past the third baseman. So that, that stuff will happen. Uh, and then the home run in the... And the sixth was the guy was hunting a first pitch changeup. And maybe that's just a sequencing thing that he'll work out by the end of the year, but went to the pitch that is his best. And the hitter was clearly waiting for it. And it, it was a long home run, but I think that's one that he can work out later in the year. So I think Caden Aoki, it's a performance you don't have to be worried about. And I think he did get pretty unlucky and we'll work some of that stuff out. But the thing that stood out, it was kind of really early on. And I don't know if maybe hitters were putting too much pressure on themselves, but USC left a lot of guys stranded on base. I want to say the number was five through the first two innings. And that was in each of the first two games, they would get guys on really early. Uh, they'd kind of get the gifts that USC was giving other teams where they were getting walked, you know, whether that was the first batter of an inning or with two outs, but they just didn't get to, the hit to bring them in. And they only had three hits in the first game, but there were situations there where they were, almost invited by BYU making mistakes to get back in the game or take a lead early on. They just couldn't do it. Um, and I think that's something that you'd like to see them work out throughout the season is be able to get a hit with a runner and scoring position, not strand guys, you know, not have an inability to move someone over or uh, hit a sacrifice fly. That's something that USC kind of struggled with. They only scored one run during the game. And then there's not a whole ton that stands out from the bullpen. I thought Channing Austin, like the stuff that we were hearing about was reflected in his pitching, but also some of the concerns with Channing Austin were reflected, had two walks, but had two strikeouts and went in inning. Didn't give up any runs, but when you walk guys, they're going to come back to bite you. And when you're on the road in a Pac-12 series, you hope to not make those mistakes. Um, but I think the biggest thing throughout the entire weekend, and I think you saw it starting up in the first game, was the strikeout shotgun. I mean, USC struck out nine times on Friday, 13 times on Saturday, and another nine times on Sunday, and I think you tweeted out yesterday that they averaged something around 7.3 strikeouts a game last year. They were just swinging and missing way too much, and I think that contributed a lot to their hitting with runners in scoring position because the first one I remember from Friday was Chris Brown coming up, and I think he swung and missed three times uh, in an at-bat with multiple runners in scoring position, and that's just 
not the stuff that I think you're used to seeing from this team based off last year and not the way that this team needs to play because they're not a strikeout a lot and hit a lot of home runs team. They're a team that needs to put the ball in play a lot, force you to make plays and eventually get those hits. Yeah, and I think that kind of you saw similar things on the next day. They played Grand Canyon again. It ends up being eight to one, but was much closer than that. Uh, Grand Canyon jumps out to a three zero lead early in the first inning, and then USC is trying to play catch up. Um, and even I thought it was notable that when they did score, they scored in the fifth inning, made it three to one to pull closer. They immediately gave up a run, and that was something that happened against Ohio State too, where they score and they immediately gave up. You know, uh, they couldn't get that shutdown inning. So that's something that w- was kind of notable to me too. Uh, you saw a little bit of everybody. Stromsborg struggled struggled in the first inning against Grand Canyon on Saturday. And then settled in. His numbers don't look great. You know, four innings pitch, six hits, three runs, two earned, um, and two walks. But that all the damage was done in the first inning. Uh, lead off double. You know, they, they manufacture a run, do a good job. Grand Canyon does. Ground ball to the right side, move them over. They get a sack fly. But then a walk again starts things back up. And then you have a single and a single uh, to – and they, they could have got out of that inning with just one run. Austin O'Vern throws the ball to third base. And if the ball is caught and the tag is applied, then the runner is going to be out for the third out. And he's going to be out before the run scores because it's big boy Zach York running from second to home. So that would have been the end of the inning. And instead, the ball gets booted and both runs score. And as was the case often this weekend, the ball was booted by, by Abrikova Rubius, the, the freshman playing third base, natural shortstop. First time playing third in, in a game for USC. He had two errors on Friday. He had an error on Saturday. I think he had another one on – He had a, not, I wouldn't call it an error, but there was a miscommunication with him playing second base on Sunday with a pop fly that drops in. So he had a rough weekend. He, he definitely did, you know, and we'll see how they, the, he bounces back from it. But, you know, they had some struggles on defense and a lot of it centered around the one freshman playing in the infield and, you know, him taking his lumps. But after that, Strasbourg wasn't great. You know, there was always felt like there was someone kind of on, um, but he 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 pitched his way through the, le- the last three innings, didn't give up anything um, and gave him a chance to kind of get back in the game. And they never really did. And then the one run USC has is a solo homer for Joey Gallo. I mean, from Jacob Galloway. And immediately after that, how about the first pitch, or was the first pitch? I think it was the third pitch of the the next half inning is a blast by uh, Bo Ankeny from Great Canyon, who just murdered a ball uh, and was hitting murdering balls all weekend. Actually, to give him credit, but immediately gave the run back, and then USC's offense doesn't do anything the rest of the game. Like you said, four hits, three hits in the first game, four hits in the second game, five hits in the the third game. So. Got to get the hitting together, but I was a little bit more concerned. The 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 thing that stood out the most to me, you know, watching the the this is my first full game watching them, was some of the arms out of the bullpen that I expect a little bit more from. And you know, uh, Xavier Martinez got hit a couple for a couple bombs. Uh, you know, some walks in the bullpen that I wasn't expecting. I thought Brock Bladder he gave up he gave up the the bomb to Ankeny, but uh, otherwise I thought he would look pretty good. That was the only hit he gave up. Uh, I thought he was impressive. You know, it's 92 mile an hour cutters. It's, you know, the breaking ball is pretty good. He had a couple of different, uh, I think he was throwing a curveball and a slider. But first time getting to see him live since his high school days. So I, I was impressed with what he did. But this was kind of the theme 
There were some things I liked about all the arms that came in. Josh Blum comes in in a huge situation, gets out of it. But then there's three sliders, three strikes, and a strikeout with the bases loaded. Not too bad. But then what does he do the next inning when he comes back out? You know, and it's an unearned run, but he gives up a run. Um, Same thing with Xavier Martinez. I thought, if I remember correctly, he had a, you know, first couple batters were good. And then, you know, he gave up some runs. So there was some positives to take away from each of those. But, you know, it just wasn't competitive enough. It wasn't the consistency that you need to be there. And I, I thought that they got beat by Carter Young, who's a guy who shouldn't be beating USC, the starting pitcher for Grand Canyon. Now he's added some velocity, but he's not, he's a kid that's like five foot eight. He used to be 135, 140 pounds. Now he's put on some weight and his velocity has ticked up. And I think maybe that surprised USC a little bit, but he's not a guy that should be beating you on a Saturday. They they threw their number two guy on Friday, Grand Canyon did, who's a freshman who's got just absolutely a disgusting changeup. It's Absolutely. One of the best pitches I've seen in a long time. Um, so when I saw that he was pitching and it was all because of the schedule they have this week, not pitching against USC, I said, oh, that's a good thing for USC. They're going to get the third guy instead of the second best guy on that. And they didn't do anything against Carter Young. And then the lefty comes in, Grant Richardson, who's uh, a pro prospect as well for Grand Canyon, throwing 93, 95, left hand side, 6-4, And they did nothing against him. Six Ks and three innings for him. So, I was much more impressed with the Grand Canyon in this game than I was USC. Yeah, and I think we said that Grand Canyon was going to be the probably the best team that USC faced of a three, and I think you come out of the weekend knowing that's definitely a fact. They're better than Ohio State, and they're better than BYU. But I think the point that you made that there are positives for most pitchers that came in for USC, but I don't think there's any pitcher that pitched the entire weekend, You know, maybe save for one or two, where it's only positives and you're not finding something negative. Because if I were just to read out to you, Shotgun, that USC pitchers struck out 15 on Friday, USC pitchers struck out 10 on Saturday, and USC pitching struck out uh, another 12 on Sunday. So we mentioned USC's strikeout problem at the plate, and USC's pitching struck out way more than that throughout the entire weekend, but it doesn't come without its issues. That's seven walks on Sunday, which kind of renders the 12 strikeouts not not useless, but not as good. You've got seven walks again on Saturday and you walked five on Friday. So 19 walks across a three game series. And it's not a series, but it's a, it's an event that can't happen. And I know it's the early part of the season, but that's what Seth Etherton, I think when he comes back here to Los Angeles and they're working, you know, out of the bullpen or on the mounds tomorrow ahead of the game against UC San Diego, that's really something that he's going to be harping on because these arms are legit shotgun. I think you could tell that you can't strike out 15 guys on a Friday night if you don't have good stuff or if you don't have good pitchers that want to be competitive and everything like that, but you can't walk that many guys. Some of the guys that stood out, you mentioned Josh Blum. I thought that situation he came in was really big for him uh, because we've heard he could be one of those guys at the back end of a bullpen. Now, USC wasn't in a save situation or a real tense eighth or ninth inning situation. That was probably the closest they got, and I thought he handled that really well. You had a couple of freshmen pitch with Brody Purcell, who finished out the game against BYU on Friday, went 1.1, gave up two hits, but struck out three. Michael Ebner, I think, got four outs, and all four of them were strikeouts. But one of the interesting things against uh, GCU as well, as I think you touched on a good amount of that game, Mason Edwards was one of the arms that came out on the mound. And we had heard from Seth Etherton that he is supposed to be the Tuesday starter for USC against UC San Diego. So I would assume this episode's coming out on Tuesday. He's supposed to be making the start for USC tonight, but the Trojans wanted to get him. It seemed like at least one inning of experience before his first career start. So he threw one inning in relief against GCU after Stromsborg and Bladder. One inning, two hits, a walk, two strikeouts. One of those walks was intentional. But so he 
clearly is in the rotation. But I thought it was interesting that USC, ahead of him starting, wanted him to pitch on a Saturday. And so there were some interesting decisions. But I think you look at just the box scores and how many different guys pitched for USC. It's reflective of the kind of games they were playing where they the starters did get hit around a little bit more than normal. But they were trying a lot of arms out. And I think you found positives with most guys, but no one was all positive, no negative. Yeah, I think there definitely this is a trial period. You know, who can pitch when the lights are on type of thing. And I, I did think it was interesting that Edwards pitched. You know, maybe he doesn't pitch on Tuesday. We'll see. Um, he, he definitely could. Bladder could definitely be an option. You know, USC has two games scheduled this this midweek. So, you know, if you know if these games don't get rained out, then maybe both those guys end up being your starters. And you just want to get their feet wet because Bladder had pitched a little bit at Alabama, but obviously had not pitched for USC. So, you know, it could be another option. There could be other options that they they decide to use as well in those midweek games. Uh, the the Sunday game, you know, checking this one out, it was USC takes the lead, their first lead of the weekend in the fourth inning. They score two runs. They take advantage of an error. You know, they got back-to-back doubles to take the lead by from jo- Jacob Galloway and Luca DiPaolo. Um, and then they re- the DePaolo scores on an error by Ohio State. USC takes the lead, but immediately they give up a run in the bottom half. And then the next inning, they give up two runs. And then the next inning, they give up a run. So, you know, quickly they're down 4-2. And then Ohio State's able to add an insurance run in the eighth because USC really didn't threaten after that. Uh, you know, this – weren't a lot of opportunities for them to do much. They had, after the inning where they scored a couple runs, they had two hits the rest of the game. So, you know, when you don't, when you only have five hits, you're not getting a ton of base runners, and Ohio State didn't give them any. That was a big difference. As I saw Ohio State play their, their season opener on Friday, and they walked, I think, 10 guys, and they lost to Boston College 9-2. to two. They got beat pretty thoroughly. And when I was talking to Bill Mozello, who's a former USC assistant, actually, a uh, long way back, but uh, I was talking with him after the game on Sunday, and he said, yeah, we played much better baseball on Saturday and Sunday. He said, you saw us on Friday, and, you know, he was coming out of it going, what do I have? What is this? You don't want to make too much out of one game, but he's like, I was confident in my team going in, and you go, this team is not playing very well. But so he was happy to see his team get back to the baseline, get back a reset and play much better on Saturday, Sunday. And that will be the challenge for USC going forward from this weekend um, because Ohio state, they just, they didn't do anything explosive in this game. You know, there wasn't anything. Oh my goodness. Whoa. Ohio state's going to run through the big 10, but they were sound. And that's what USC was all last season. And what they were not this weekend from the errors to the walks for the pitching staff, 19 walks, like you mentioned, to the strikeouts for the offense, 32 strikeouts in, in a weekend. So, you know, all those things, each of those three pieces are the pieces that are controllable. Now, you can you can attack, you can give up a ton of runs, a ton of hits as a pitcher, but if you don't walk guys, you give yourself a better chance. As a hitter, if you put the ball in play, especially at the college level, you give yourself a chance. So, and if you take care of the baseball, you help out your pitchers, innings are much shorter, you give yourself a chance. So eliminate the mistakes that aren't giving you a chance to win, and then you go from there and you just try to start building on that with, okay, now you get a base hit, extra base hit, all those type of things. Uh, USC just didn't give themselves a chance much of the weekend. Um, I know you didn't see a ton of, of the Ohio State game. Uh, I saw two full games. You saw two full games. But any other standout things from, from you from the Ohio State game? I just think that you- – I want to focus, I think, a little bit more on the the hitting side because USC only had five hits. Three of them came from one person, and it was clearly the best hitter of the weekend, and that was Jacob Galloway. I think he 
is probably the only hitter that comes out pretty satisfied with the way that he played uh, during the weekend. Uh, Ethan Hedges had a two hit game. The Kevin Takuchi, the freshman came in and, you know, he hit a double for his first collegiate hit, but then Galloway by and large is the only one that comes out feeling pretty, pretty satisfied about the way he played, played three games, got 11 at bats, had five hits. Two of them were doubles. One is the only home run USC hit during the weekend. Uh, You know, even though the five hits, the USC didn't have anyone on base. So five of those hits and only one RBI and it was him knocking himself in on the home run. But, you know, he played pretty well defensively again. And I think it, from a guy that we heard from Andy Stankwitz was one of the most consistent hitters throughout the offseason, it's good to see that translate for him into the start of the regular season. But I think you have to start looking, too, at some of the, you know, the guys that are supposed to be the leaders of this offense that you really want to step up. Uh, Austin O'Vern didn't have his greatest weekend. He had a couple balls hard. Uh, you know, I think his first at-bat of the weekend hit a line drive to the second baseman who dove and caught it and it couldn't go into right. Obviously, he had the triple on Friday, which is you know cool to see him at another triple. I, I don't think he'll ever stop hitting him, but one hit in, tw- in 12 at-bats during the weekend. Uh, you had Ryan Jackson. He had one hit in 10 at-bats. Bryce Martin Grudzelanek, who struggled at the uh, on defense a lot more than I think we were expecting, uh, not playing shortstop but playing second base, had a handful of errors, I believe three total on the weekend, didn't have a hit and only got five at-bats on the weekend. Uh, so I think you're looking at those guys that they need to step up because they're the ones that you don't want to place too much pressure on them, but they're the ones that are supposed to pace this offense. So when the three of them combine for two hits and you make, you know, hedges or Galloway do everything in the offense, it's going to be hard. And I think it starts with Overn and maybe it's too much pressure to put on him, but the expectation is for him to be one of the top 50 to hundred players in college baseball and hitting at the leadoff spot. He paces a lot of what this group is going to do offensively. And I think you don't, be too concerned with the weekend, but the way we saw him play down the stretch of Pac-12 play last year and dealing with some injuries this summer and kind of struggling in the Cape League at different times and trying out for Team USA, you hope he can bounce back from the way he played at the end of last year and his summer to get back on the path that we saw him earlier in the year. And I think once you see him getting on base, it's a little bit of a momentum thing. The ball will start rolling. I just felt like that's what USC was missing all weekend. The ball was stagnant the entire time. There was really no momentum for the group. normally you've got good defense that can lead to good hitting or good pitching can lead to good hitting. And it was just kind of like the bad pitching would lead to the team going cold to the plate. That wouldn't help out the pitching, which in turn wouldn't help out the defense. And it was just that negative spiral where you're snowballing in the wrong way. Yeah. And I'm not even going to put it on one person or two people or three people. Yeah. It's the entire team outside of Jake Galloway. Jake Galloway is the only person that hit well. Now Hedges hit Drew – Drove some balls to the warning track, but make an adjustment. Hit a line drive rather than you know getting underneath everything. If you're playing in big league ballparks, big league, big league spring spring training ballparks, and you're playing at night and the ball's not traveling because it's not hot out there yet, um, you know those balls might go out during the day. They didn't at night. You know he hit at least three to the warning track, probably four, maybe five. Um, so he's somebody. Chris Brown, five strikeouts and nine plate appearances. Make an adjustment. Like those are the things that you look at and. Maybe it was the coaching staff saying, all right, you guys try it your way. All right, you see how the results didn't work. Now it's time to come back. Let's get back to work type of thing. Um, That's something you can do in college baseball. You can let people go a little bit uh, for one weekend and say, all right, we got to fix these things. Uh, The the interesting thing I thought on Sunday was the lineup switch. I think that was the most interesting thing to me is that Austin O'Vern moves out of the leadoff spot. Ryan Jackson takes over the leadoff spot. That's one. 
And also, Vern finishes the weekend with five Ks. That's more than you want from your leadoff hitter. You know, he's got to put the ball in play, let those wheels do their thing. Um, but then uh, towards the bottom of the lineup, Tim Takuchi uh, gets in. Uh, Takauchi, they were announced it different than how Andy Stankiewicz and uh, Travis Jewett have told us. So now I'm really confused on, on how to pronounce USC's it. USC's got a, a pronunciation guide, and his name isn't on it. Kova Rubius's <laughs> name isn't on it. It's like, I know how to pronounce Aoki. It's it's these guys that I, I think most people will have a problem with. I think on MLB Network, they were calling Josh Blum Josh Bloom. So, you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's... I, I'll check with them tomorrow when we go to the game, but I, I want to say it's Takuchi because that's the way that Andy Stankwitz was saying it, and I feel like he's the guy you trust on the pronunciation. <laughs> um, he he gets in, he gets his first career start, as well as USC football fans will be happy to see that Deuce Robinson gets his first start. Um, he played uh, about five or six innings. They pinch hit for him in the seventh or eighth um, with Carson Wells, righty, lefty, splits there. But Deuce Robinson... He had two at-bats. He battled in the first one. He fouled a couple pitches off before striking out. The second one, he lines the ball to right field for an out. But overall, solid start for him, at least just to get his feet wet. It didn't really have any action in the outfield uh, for him. But, you know, where some of the freshmen are, are making some mistakes defensively, that was not an issue there necessarily. You want to see him put the ball in play each time. You want to see him get a base hit. You want to see him run, all those type things. But the fact that he's in there, I thought that was very notable. You know, the fact, okay, you know, we didn't know if, if we we're going to see him anytime soon, but to sprinkle him in there, get him an opportunity, uh, I thought, and that, I think that was emblematic of the weekend. You know, if the offense is rolling, I don't think Deuce Robinson's getting a start on Sunday, but with everyone struggling, they made some changes, gave some guys some opportunities. You know, they, we saw the inverted lineup, if you want to, or inverted defensive lineup, if you want to say, with Chris Brown at first and Hedges at third. Cova Rubius moved to second base that took Bryce Martin and Grizzlelonic out of the game, so uh, or out of the lineup. So we saw some differences there, and that's something this team can do. Like that, we thought said that was going to be a strength of this group is that, hey, someone's struggling, you get somebody else in there, and you have options to do that. So I thought that that was a, it was the first time we saw it, and I thought it was interesting to see um, so early in the season. But just hey, things didn't go right the first two games. We're going to switch it up, and try something different. Didn't work necessarily. We'll see how the lineup looks uh, when they play tonight or and tomorrow if the games get in because of the rain again. Uh, but, uh, you know, the the positives from the Sunday game against Ohio State, I think came on the mound, seeing Eric Hammond pitch. And his stat line, again, his stat line doesn't look very good either. Um, but I thought he probably pitched the best out of the three starters. Uh, you know, I thought that he looked good, you know, especially early in the game, was attacking. You know, he, he ends up – he gives up a run in the fourth. In the fifth inning, he came out, and the two runs scored after he came out. So – it hurts his stat line there, if I remember correctly, on when he came out and all that type of stuff. But he, he showed it looked better. It looked better than what it did last year. Now, the velo is not necessarily up way higher or anything. I think he was hitting some 93s, maybe he touched a 94 in the first inning. I got there a little bit late uh, from, from another ballpark, so I didn't see all the, the gun readings as I was kind of settling in. But he settled in at 91. It was pretty consistent there. He was able to throw his all-speed stuff for strikes. It's something to grow from for him too, a positive sign for him. I think that was the, the biggest thing to take away from, from that game though. Yeah. And, and I think you feel confident that Tyler Stromsborg and Caden Aoki will figure their things out. You know, if Eric Hammond had come out and had a really bad start in the first weekend, you don't have as much of that uh, leeway from past experience to say, no, this guy will definitely bounce back. And so it's good to see him come out and have a good first start and, 
this could be a guy where he could rise up the uh, the rotation later in the week. You know, from what we heard from Seth Etherton, or later in the season, sorry. Uh, from what we heard from Seth Etherton, he doesn't want to put any of these spots in stone. So he said, you know, Kaden Aoki will pitch on Fridays until we decide he doesn't, you know, deserve that role anymore. Or you already saw Tyler Stromsworth go from Friday to Saturday. Maybe he gets the Friday spot back, but maybe Eric Hammond pitches well enough and he's got the stuff that USC moves him forward. So I think everything's in, in flux right now, but it was good to see him go out there. And even though the stat line, I don't think necessarily reflects it. I think you're right. He did pitch the best out of any of USC's restarters. And some of the relievers that came in, obviously this is the game that USC allowed the least runs. Some of them pitched pretty well. I think Michael Ebner, uh, just looking at the stat line mm-hmm. as a whole, 1.1 innings pitched. All of those outs were strikeouts. He struck out four, only walked one, gave up one run, but it wasn't earned. Uh, but, you know, faced six batters and struck out four. Uh, for a guy that we weren't really sure what to expect last year, we heard from uh, Andy Stankowitz and Seth Etherton that they could be guys that are, uh, him and Fisher Johnson could be starters slash relievers or guys in relief that could go in long relief. Uh, it was good to see him go out there, and I didn't know he had that kind of strikeout stuff in him, uh, but he obviously had a good performance. Uh, and another thing that I want to mention is really everyone pitched except for a couple of freshmen and Fisher Johnson, which would make me not surprised if Johnson starts or pitches a lot in one of these two midweek games. But, you know, Ebner, a guy who made eight appearances for USC last year, uh, I think gave up 11 hits. He only struck out six in nine innings last year. So to come out and strike out four and one in the third, he could have some different stuff this season. And USC is looking for someone to step up and fill some of these bullpen spots and be a reliable arm that they can use a lot. And maybe Abner could be one of those guys going forward during the year. Yeah, he struck out the side in his first inning. He comes back out and gets done in by his defense. Reached on air by second baseman and then just dropped a fly ball in right field. Like it just wasn't pretty. Um, and then so now it's ends up being second and third after a stolen base. He strikes out one of Ohio State's top hitters who had got a double earlier in the game, RBI double. And he intentionally walks somebody and comes out of the game. And then Blum comes in, gives up a sack fly, and then strikes somebody out. So get out of there with limited damage at, for the position that they were put in between the two of them. So, yeah, I, I thought Ebner was, was probably the, the best reliever that I saw this weekend as far as what he did. Uh, I, I thought the stuff-wise – yeah, Watson's stuff is really good. I saw him on his bad outing. He had two outings. Channing Austin pitched, you know, showed okay stuff. I didn't see anything close to 97s or anything like we've been hearing about. But Blum, you know, the slider was really good. The, the slider was nasty. So that stood out. Uh, Tostrup came up in the Juco transfer, the lefty. He came in in a similar situation as Blum had. And, you know, he got two or, yeah, he got two outs. He did walk, walk in a run in, in the situation where the bases loaded. He comes in and gets a strikeout. Walk someone on 3-2 count. The dugout was not very happy with And he gives him a line out that gets out of the inning. But, you know, he looked fine to me. The second inning, he came back out and did not look very good. So it, a lot of stuff to grow from, a lot of stuff to, to look at as we go forward. But with that, we're going to jump into our break. And then Jack and I are going to come back to look forward to what this week could hold for USC and point out the couple of areas where we want to see the biggest improvements quickly. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your po- favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can always send them in to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you say the Dato download, the baseball pod, the one with Jack on it in the headline to make sure it gets directed to us. Jack, we looked at the past. Let's move past it. It's one weekend. It's the opening weekend. It was rough, but 
Where can USC improve? What do they need to do this week? Let's look forward and look at what USC has coming up this week. Give us the schedule, who they play, what do they got to do going forward here? They got a five-game week this week, you know, looking forward from the midweeks on uh, with potentially two games in the midweek and then a weekend series. Yeah, this is all kind of rain pending. It was pouring here today, but it's supposed to lighten up tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the day that this comes out, which is Tuesday. They've got you, two you were throwing games. off the time continuum here. You got oh, my bad. Okay. You we are recording this on Monday. You got to know what day we're publishing and just say that it's that day at all times. Come on. Nah, Have you not that's, watched? That's lying. Come on. Uh, <laughs> USC has two midweek games. They're both played at the same stadium. One is a home game and one is a road game. So they play their first fake home game. Welcome against- to 2024. Against UC San Diego today on Tuesday, uh, that will be a home game at LMU, and then they play LMU at LMU as a road team on Wednesday, uh, and then they go to Orange County to play in Great Park against Portland for their first three-game series and then their first real home series of the year. I think the one thing that you're looking for for USC is they came into this season um, expecting that they needed to improve at playing on the road, playing away from home, developing a home atmosphere despite not playing at Dato Field. I would hope that this weekend where they struggle doesn't cloud their perspective of that, but it also could be a positive where they're focused on a lot of things right now, Shotgun, that maybe they don't have the time to think about the fact they're not playing at their home stadium because right now they're just focused on getting a win. But I think for USC, you'd look to come out and you've got four games at home and five games in Southern California. Play your best when you're closest to home. And I know you're not going to play at home, but... This is about as close to home as you're going to get uh, this season is being able to play five games in Southern California in a week. So uh, establish that fake home field advantage, uh, play well close to home. I think that's what you're looking for for USC, but they'll they'll play some good teams. I mean, UC San Diego, as we mentioned, went 34 and 18 last year, won the Big West, favored to win the Big West again this year. Uh, LMU is competitive at times uh, and then Portland went 31 and 23 last year so USC isn't you know getting a big break or anything like that but uh, we'll see how they can compete against these teams I know UCSD gave them a run for their money last year I think Trojans won four three but this is another one a a team three and oh coming off of sweeping San Jose State that could beat USC and we'll see if the Trojans do get their first win today on Tuesday yeah, they're, they're play UC San Diego, who is, like you said, they coming off a sweep against San Jose State, who was our prediction for D1 baseball to be the team to beat in the Mountain West. They made the tournament last year. They won the Mountain West. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a loud sweep to start the season. And I did it in a couple different ways. They won a pitcher's duel to begin with. They blew them out in the second game, 15-0. Um, in the second, third game, uh, uh, I think it was like 8-2 to two or something. But they basically dominated the series and they crushed the ball. They hit 330 as a team. You know, they had drove in, they had 30 runs in the on the weekend. So, you know, the, led by, let's see, who, who was the kind of lead? Brock uh, Klesik had five RBIs and a homer. Um, you know, they, just, they didn't have a ton of extra base hits in the weekend, but they just hit line drives everywhere and had a bunch of hits for them. So they're a team to, to watch out for. I don't think they're the favorite in the Big West this season. I, I think that's definitely UC Irvine and UC Santa Barbara. But UC San Diego has definitely made some noise since making the jump from Division uh, or was Division Two to Division One, and so they're going to be a challenging team. And you know USC, they'll have to work out work cut out against the the offensive lineup of UC San Diego. 
Yeah, and uh, you mentioned a pitcher's duel on Friday. They've got one of the best pitching prospects in the country. Ryan Forcucci, I think is how you pronounce the name. Um, He pitched on Friday. You're not going to get their Friday starter on a Tuesday. So USC doesn't have to face him, which will be nice. And so the question is, who pitches for USC? We heard it's supposed to be Mason Edwards. Does that change? And then what can... UC San Diego patched together. You never really know uh, what to expect, especially these first couple midweek matchups. Uh, Midweeks are always up in the air, um, and normally they're patchwork where a lot of pitchers throw, and USC might try and do the same thing again, especially shocking with the fact they've got two midweeks this week and a a series this weekend. Normally you don't see the back-to-back Tuesday-Wednesday games. um, So for USC, who already had to use a lot of pitching over the weekend, it'll be interesting to see how they balance the two midweek games, as well as pitching again on the weekend. Yeah, and like you said, the, the Forkinchi is uh, you know elite. He had 11 strikeouts in five minutes. USC's not going to face him. If you want to see UC San Diego in the future, that's a guy who could be a, you know early-round draft pick, top-five-round draft pick. But they also have their closer, Isaac Martinez. Isaac with a Z, by the way. Z and a K. Z-A-A-K, um, yeah. Yeah, it's spelled unique. And he pitches unique, as in then he strikes a bunch of guys out too. He had nine Ks in two appearances, got two saves uh, against um, San, Diego, San Jose State. And, you know, struck out nine guys in five minutes. He didn't give up a hit and give up another run. So you know, he was really good. He's a kid from Glendora, as you know, lefty who's pretty solid. That's a guy they could end up seeing on Tuesday potentially. You know, now the fact that he pitched twice on the weekend. In fact, he threw five innings. Maybe that rules him out. But if it's a close game, they got a one-run lead at the end, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy that comes in at the very end. So uh, they do have some arms there as well. And on Wednesday, USC will move. I'm wondering if they're going to move dugouts. Like, are they going to be in the, so. Are they going to be the home team dugout when they're playing as the home team? And then because I don't think there's a big advantage or disadvantage – Maybe the bullpen's a little bit nicer on the on the on the home team side at LMU, but they're going to move to the other side of the field, uh, potentially a dugout because they will be the away team playing against LMU, who is coming off a solid weekend. They went two and one against Sacramento State. Now LMU won the regular season WCC last year. They are not predicted to win this year. But that's because they lost a ton of talented guys. They lost their coach. He went to Washington State. But they got in Donald Fergus from UC Santa Barbara, and he's a guy. He's a coach I love. He's 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 like Travis Jewett. You can talk hitting with him for days. He is you know super unique character. He is he, he's awesome. Um, and he decided there's two different ways you can go about when you take over a program. You can keep everyone you've already got and kind of build, try to build through the high school ranks and maybe put a couple of transfer pieces in, more what USC did last year. Or you can burn it all down and try to bring as many new guys as you can that you know what they can do, you recruit them type of thing. And that's more of what LMU did this year. They brought in a number of grad transfers. They're only going to be there for one year. But the idea is to, okay, let us show what we can do as a coaching staff and develop these guys. That way the next round of recruits we can go get because it was already so late in the recruiting cycle when they were hired. But they got a couple big-time arms. Uh, Seamus Barrett is a Louisville transfer uh, that's been with the program for a few years, but he's up to like 97. He's a guy that USC could see on on uh, on Wednesday. Jacob Hughes is a reliever from Oregon. You know, there's just there's pieces throughout from that have come from bigger big programs that haven't necessarily had a ton of success at pre- their previous programs, but uh, they're off to a good start and they're hitting really well. And could could Gene Kadeem Jaw 
D-I-A-W is the kid to watch for LMU. He's a catcher. He plays outfield, but he's a pro prospect. He's a potential big leaguer in the future. Uh, he batted 438 the opening weekend, 7 for, for 16, and he stole a couple bases as well. He's athletic. He moves well. You know, it'll be an interesting – if he catches, it'll be an interesting um, catcher matchup between him and Galloway if both of those guys end up behind the plate because both of them are smaller, more athletic guys. Another guy to keep an eye on is Daylon Adderley, who is a transfer from – I want to say it was Alabama State. Is from a SWAC school. He was the SWAC Player of the Year last year. Batted over 400, uh, and he can run. He can hit for power. He's a guy to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, I mean, Jaw had as many hits in his weekend as USC had in the first two games. Seven hits, <laughs> and as a team, LMU uh, lost the number for a second. LMU had 32 hits in the in the first weekend. So USC is probably a little envious. Obviously, you know, at Sacramento State, you're not playing as good a competition, but Sacramento State, you know, competed with USC last year. So Sacramento State's good. Sacramento State's good. So 32 hits in the weekend. And uh, pitching, I think they only walked 14. USC walked 10 in a game. So uh, definitely a better start for LMU during the season, even though they're only 2-1. and one. So we'll see. That'll probably be the most one of the most tired that USC's pitching staff will be this entire season season where you're coming off of four games in five days and you have to have another midweek game so we'll see if USC is pitching especially at a, it's probably one most depleted moment of the season so far we'll be able to pitch against this solidly hitting LMU team but then shotgun USC plays Portland over whoa, the weekend whoa, whoa, whoa. oh you mentioned that on. you mentioned that LMU only had one what'd you say they had 14 walks 14 walks they did have 12 hit by pitches oh yeah didn't now, see that now I should point that out because the reason why I point that out is because eight of them were one were, player. Were one player. That player was with me this summer, actually, which is really funny. I, I saw that and I I thought I'm like, wow, I didn't know during the summer that this guy would end up being famous. But Matt Masiangelo was really really good at getting on base for us this summer. But though, as I tweeted out, that was something else. He got hit seven times in the first day of the season. Then they pulled him, and the person that they pinch hit him pinch hit for him also got hit in that second game of the doubleheader. <laughs> and then when he played on Sunday, he got hit in another at bat. So eight he, he pitches in the weekend. He actually got hit twice on Sunday and they called him back to the plate. One of the, and called a strike on it and said it was over the That's plate. Unbelievable. Uh, so nine times being hit by pitches during the weekend. That's gotta be a record or something. Uh, he but... could, he could not get hit for the next three weeks and he will still be leading college baseball <laughs> in three weeks. Hey, but maybe LMU was just trying to send a message like this kid, this kid right here. We're going after yeah. him. We're just going to hit him every time. No, that wasn't it. I but. mean, what's the point of walking someone on four pitches when you can hit him on one? That's true. Now, well, now you don't have to walk him on four. You just say, ah, send him to first. Uh, but yeah, no, but that doesn't hurt as much. So true. So you get getting getting the pain factor in there as well. But yeah, they went two and one. The the game they lost, uh, they actually blew uh, in the ninth inning. They had an eight six lead and gave up three runs for for Sacramento State to walk off. Otherwise, they could have swept the weekend as well. It would have been a terrific start. I mean, it, two and one is a good start for them as well with all, so many new faces and stuff. But LMU will be a, a formidable. All three of these teams that they're playing this week, you look at it and you're just looking at the schedule and you're like, oh, yeah, USC is definitely going to beat them, right? But these are, these are solid qu- clubs. Now, LMU is a team that we'll see their depth. That'll be something that will be questioned throughout the or be challenged throughout the season, you know, especially if they have any injuries because, they, like I said, they had to reload. Like they had – they had a dude on Friday last year. He was a third round pick, I want to say. Their Friday, their Saturday guy was really good for him too. And they lost both of those guys. And so they're filling in roles and stuff. So they don't have as much depth. You go to Portland, though, 
You want to talk about a Friday guy? They're going to face Nick Brink on Friday, and he's my WCC Pitcher of the Year uh, pick. You know, he was – I think he had something like a two-something ERA last year. He was, you know, fantastic for him. He comes back and will front that rotation. Portland's a, a, t- a program that's been on the rise. They've, you know, been getting better and better the last three or four years under Jeff Loomis. He took over a program that was just forgotten about, basically and has built them up slowly, slowly, and they've got older guys, it's going to be a challenge. People will look at it, and if USC loses some games this week, they'll be like, oh, they lost to UC San Diego, they lost to Ellen, and I'll be like, those are solid clubs. Now, those are the clubs you have to beat if you want to be a true regional team. But those are very easily losable games. These are not Marist. These are not, you know, some of the opponents that USC has faced to start seasons in the past. It's not Mount St. Mary's or something. Like these are, are quality quality programs um, that are going to be good this year. They're going to be fighting for their conference titles and being regional teams themselves. So those are the ones that you need to go take care of business because that's going to boost your RPI. Because when Portland goes and they're in a top three spot in the WCC throughout the season, and UC San Diego is doing the same thing in the Big West. I don't know if LMU will do the same. I wouldn't be surprised to do, but I can definitely see them following the middle of the pack. But that means they're getting a bunch of wins. And that means if you have beat them, that helps your RPI out. So these are big, important games in that regard because your playing teams are going to get a lot of wins throughout the season. So they got to take care of business. But Portland is no slouch for sure. Yeah, I think the pitching is stronger for Portland than the hitting. I mean, just the pitching statistics through the first weekend going 2-1 and one against San Diego State are kind of obscene. 43 strikeouts across three games, just walked eight. You know, you had Nick Brink. He went six innings, only gave up three hits, didn't give up an earned run. He struck out nine. Sam Stewart, who I think started another game, uh, five innings. He struck out 12 in five innings, which means he got 15 outs and 12 of them were strikeouts. So for USC, who obviously it's only been three games, had a strikeout problem through the first weekend of the season. You're just looking to see what these Portland pitchers will do against USC. So you want to be able to fix the strikeout problem before uh, you have to face Portland on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Those games will be in Orange County. The rain is, I believe, supposed to stop by then. So uh, while the midweek games may be in the air, the weekend games should be safer. Uh, but Portland they swung it okay during the weekend. You know, 19 hits as a team. You had a handful of guys with three. Christian Cooney, uh, Jonas Salk, and, and Brady Bean all had three hits. Not a ton of extra base hits, three doubles and a home run. Uh, San Diego State gave, gave USC a little bit of a push last year, uh, but Portland played pretty well during the weekend, uh, this weekend, and won two of the three games. I think one of them was a 13-inning game, but Portland, obviously, you said a lot of it, Shaka, and you know better than than I do about some of these more intricate, smaller teams, but Portland is definitely not a team that you can look past on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I talk about Nick Brink, and he, you know, he's a, a legit pitcher. It's 91, 92. It's nothing overpowering necessarily, but he just spots everything up. He's really good. Sam Sturr, on the other hand, it's 96, 97. It's, he's an Oregon State transfer, you know, didn't really do much at Oregon State, you know, he was only 89-91 when I talked to Jeff Loomis earlier this offseason. Um, he told me that when they picked up Stir out of the transfer portal, quality arm, you know, 89-91, they can work with that. He's been up to 96-97 in the spring. I don't know what it was on Friday or on Saturday, excuse me, but had to be pretty damn good if it was 12 strikeouts in five minutes. You know, he's got – he's electric. You know, he has a hard slider to go with it. He has a hard curveball. He can throw both of those for strikes. He's actually the, – the interesting thing is he's thrown his – curveball and his slider more consistently for strikes than his fastball in the past. His fastball command has been the issue for him. 
But if he's harnessing that, and he only had two walks on, you know, in his first start against San Diego State. Now, San Diego State, I don't think they're very good. I think he's they're an overpower a, a team that can be overpowered. So you can throw that fastball down the middle and feel comfortable that they're not going to do too much damage. But he he's legit. He's going to be you know if, if he pitches like he did opening weekend, he'll be a top round pick as well. And then on Sundays they have Joey Gartrell, six four two fifteen. You know, he's a guy that is it developed a sweeper during the offseason that has really helped hitters get off his fastball. They're really excited about him. So all three starters are going to be really good. Question is the depth of the, the pitching. Uh, you know, when you get in the bullpen, are there some pieces that you can hit? And then the offense, you know, you mentioned a couple of the guys, but they're, they're a really old offense. Um, you know, guys like uh, Jake Holcroft has been around for, this is his, I think, fifth year starting for them. You know, he fourth or fifth um, for him. He's been in the lineup since day one. And when he goes, the offense goes is basically it. Christian Cooney's an older hitter they think is going to hit really well this season. Uh, ben Pattisol is a four-year starter or fifth-year starter uh, for Portland shortstop. Not necessarily the greatest hitter, but if he can take a step forward, they think that, you know, that's another piece. And then they have a real dude in Zach Toglia, who if you, if you recognize the name Toglia, because his brother, Michael, was at UCLA, who's now in the Rockies organization, yep. uh, was one of their top prospects. Didn't, didn't do very well last year in his first kind of true full year. But they Zach is probably more athletic than his brother. Um, he's a big power bat from the left-hand side as well, similar to his brother. So they've got some pieces. Don't think that this is a team that USC should run over. This is a, a legit team. So if USC wins the series, you should be you say, okay, that's a good series win. Not like, oh, how they not sweep Portland? Because there's teams out there that are on their schedule. You go, you really need to take care of business. You need to sweep them. But Portland, I think, is a, a solid squad, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they are. I, I think the WCC is going to be really good this year, and I, I think that they're a team that's going to be right in the mix as well as Santa Clara, a team that I saw. Did not play very well against uh, Arizona State, but I'll get a chance to see them again this weekend as well. But, um, you know, I, I think that they're a team that definitely cannot be overlooked this week. The, this week is not a week, uh, a get-right week for USC with the opponents they're playing. This is, they don't really have one early on in the season. True. You, you mentioned you had the three tough teams, and you maybe Ohio State isn't going to be the greatest team in the Big Ten. Maybe BYU isn't going to win the Big 12 or anything. But, obviously, playing in a tournament like that, the, the stakes feel a little bit higher you mentioned this week's hard. We'll get to it next week, obviously, but I think they play Michigan on Tuesday, and then they have to head out to play two top 10 teams, TCU, who I think you guys rank fifth in the country twice, and Texas A&M, who's eighth once in Texas. That's the first three weeks of the season, and there is no break. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this is, when you look at the full schedule, I guess this is the get-right week compared to the rest of the schedule. But it's it's not going to be easy. I, I, honestly, this feels a lot like uh, the men's basketball schedule, where it's like you better take advantage against the teams that you should beat but are tough because there's no real breaks coming because they beefed up the schedule to play some other teams, um, you know, adding in some you know Vegas games and different things like that. So USC needs to take care of business. So they need to bounce back uh, and, you know, and, and go to work. They Get back to practice on on Monday. Go to work. Get to if they play on Tuesday, come out fired and ready, fired up and ready to go. And you know, try to take care of business against UC San Diego because you're not going to be facing their their weekend arms. That's the the advantage USC has. Fisher Johnson or Mason Edwards or Brock Bladder should be have better stuff and be a better pitcher than your Tuesday Wednesday guy for LMU or UC San Diego. 
Like they just should be. So you need five innings from those guys, give you quality innings, and then use your depth that you have, the new depth, newfound depth that you have this year of your bullpen, and be able to take care of business that way. And your offense should be able to do a little bit more action uh, against their midweek guys that are throwing. So that's the advantage USC has. Now, can they take advantage of it? That's that's what we'll see. Yeah, you just want to make sure that you're not allowing this week to continue the snowball from the past weekend. Because if Fair you point. if you snowball through this week and you've got to go face Michigan and Texas A&M and TCU next week, this season could get out of hand quickly. You know, it's only been three games, and I don't agree as well, too. Shocking with the tweets you, you saw saying, oh, the season's over. You could do a, a lot of harm to your potential to make a regional if you slowly walk through this week. Maybe you only win two games this week, and then you go out there next week. Maybe you win one. At that point, if, if they won two this week and one next week, they'd be three and oh, I'm doing math here, three and nine. That's a tough start to the season, especially because you've lost a lot of your opportunities to get wins that could help you later in the year when it really matters. Yeah, definitely. You got to take care of business. And when you get those big marquee matchups, you want to win them so that you help your RPI out as well. And like I said, these are good RPI games potentially too for USC, even though they won't be the marquee ones like TCU or Texas A&M. They are teams that are going to get a lot of wins, so that will help in that regard. So uh, it, every weekend is going to be big for USC. Uh, but you know, it, it when you come off a sour opening weekend, you want to get back to work and you want to go attack it. And I think that's something that they'll do. Yeah, and maybe the, the schedule doesn't make it a get right week, but USC needs to get right this week. And, and I think that <laughs> you, you you look and you don't want to carry the concerns from three games all the way into the season. And I think it would be unfair if you use this past weekend for USC as an indictment of, oh, the season's going to be over and everything like that. But I think you have to put a little bit of trust in the coaching staff because this group is more talented than last year and they got a lot out of that group from last year. But I think the thing with last year was they were able to build momentum at the start of the season. Then they were maybe let down a little bit later in the season, especially on the road. This season, they were thrown into the fire. And so we'll see if they can respond to that. Yeah, and... Guys, just because someone starts slow doesn't mean they can't do anything for the season. Let's go back a couple of years. Let's go to the 2022 season. We'll start with Stanford. Stanford goes 9-8 and eight in their first 17 games. One game above 500. They started out the Pac-12 play. They went 1-5 and five in Pac-12 play to start with. That team is a part of a, a program that is now it has been to Omaha three straight years, the only program in the country that can say that because – they righted the ship and got going. So one bad weekend is not the end of things. For Stanford, that like I said, they started one and five in conference play. That was lost the series at home to Oregon, got swept on the road at Arizona, and then they're like, all right, you know what? We should probably start playing now. And they did. So for USC, they should probably start playing now. We'll see if they do. Uh, I think that's a really good way to put it. And I think you trust this coaching staff to with what they were able to do last year and the pedigree that they've got. I mean, the GCU program that USC lost to that we said was the best team. That program was built by Andy Stankiewicz. So uh, he mentioned a couple of times on the broadcast, it was cool to be back and playing the same team and, and getting to exchange lineup cards with a former assistant of his from nine years. He built that program. I think you trust that he can build the one here at USC, especially with some of the assistance that he's got uh, right alongside him. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Dato Download Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to my co-host, Jack Smith. And for all of you for listening, please like, share, subscribe, or leave us a review, all those things. We hope that you can join us for the next episode of the Dato Download Podcast.